The following is a sermon from the Vicar at Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 6. We read, Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all that belonged to her, because she hid the men, of jo- she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. The word of the Lord. Good morning, and welcome to another Sunday in Advent, another day, another reason to rejoice. We find ourselves still in the family tree of Christ Jesus found in Matthew 1. And today we highlight another woman from Scripture, like Tamar last week. But today we talk about Rahab. Rahab's one of those characters in the Bible who gets that one sentence right off, I think. Right? When you think of the name, you, you think, oh, Rahab was the prostitute who saved those spies in Jericho. And that's true. But maybe it's a little unfair to what the Bible has to say about Rahab. So in this season of Advent, when, when we reflect on ourselves and we, and we appreciate the coming Savior, let's look at some of the better lessons to learn about Rahab, about sin, about faith that are found in Joshua chapter 6. Today our focus is on the end of the story of Rahab where God does more than just spare her. He delivers her. And he shows us the transformation and the absurdity found in deliverance. Deliverance is a great theme for movie, right? If you really think about it, it's in almost every movie because it's just so simple. But it's a great way to tell a story. You need two parts. You need good and you need bad. You need someone who's in trouble, who we care about, and we need a hero who's going to come and save them. It works in almost every movie that I can think of. Finding Nemo. Nemo is saved from the aquarium in the dentist's office. Toy Story. Woody and Buzz are saved from Sid's house and all those terrifying toys. But it works for... Movies with more dark and serious themes, too, like Saving Private Ryan. The young soldier is stuck deep in enemy territory in in Nazi Germany, but he's rescued by a platoon of soldiers. Or the Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne is trapped in this horrible prison where he's abused and assaulted, but with the help of his friends, he makes it out. Our story has two parts, too. Good and bad. Someone in trouble and a hero to rescue them. But the stakes of our deliverance, 
the setting, the aftermath. The, they elevate this deliverance higher than any Oscar-winning film could portray. There's a transformation in our story. So let's set the table. Who are the parts in this story of deliverance? We have Rahab. She was, yes, the Canaanite woman who lived in Jericho working as a prostitute. Famously, those two spies were sent by Joshua into the city to gain intel on their enemy, and she hid them and kept them safe. And she also confessed faith in the Lord. She knew who he was. She knew what he had done. And she trusted that she could be saved by this mighty God. So she made an agreement, a pact, with those two spies that they would save her if she kept them safe. And then we have Jericho, the bad part of our story. I think so often, and I'm, I'm very guilty of doing this, when you think of Jericho, you think of the Sunday school lesson or the Sunday school song or maybe if you were raised with veggie tales like I was, you think of the, the episode where the Israelites march around the big city with the big walls and the, the guys on the walls pour slushies on the Israelites as they walk around the city. It's the silly story about the giant walls. Then they fall down when all the Israelites shout. What a great story. But Jericho was the target of God's destruction, like complete and total destruction. And there was a reason for that. It was the sin that was going on inside those walls. Jericho didn't worship God. They didn't have hymn sing-alongs. They didn't have Bible study. They worshipped idols. And their worship practice was sex. And they sacrificed babies to their false gods. Jericho was totally offensive and corrupt and awful to God and his people. So to save Israel, God had to destroy Jericho. Not just because they were a great military force in this region that God wanted to put, God wanted to put Israel in this area. And they were a threat to them, yes. But they were also a threat to his people's spiritual purity, their faith. So imagine Rahab living in this kind of culture, this kind of city. Yes, she had faith. She's heard of the things the Lord did for her, but she's stuck in this sea of sin in Jericho. We know a few things about Rahab from our text. She lived in a house in Jericho that was built into the city walls. So her back wall with a window would have been looking out of the city. We also know from ancient Near East history that that was not a very rich part of town. You could even call it the slums. We also know that in her house were her parents and her brothers and sisters and possibly her kids. It wasn't just her. So she was trying to support a family in this small house built into the walls of Jericho. But she has faith in God that he can deliver her from this situation. We have a chance here, like we did with Tamar last week, to elevate Rahab a little bit in the way that we read her in the Bible. She's not just that prostitute from Jericho. She is a lifeboat of faith 
in a stormy sea of sin, being tossed about in the waves, but holding on to faith in God. That's how God saw it. The Bible repeats over and over again, by faith, Rahab was saved. By faith, God spared her and her family from this destruction that was coming. But our text says more than that. She and her family were taken from Jericho to Israel. And they remain there to this day. Just like we know from the Sunday school stories, the big walls came crumbling down. And all of Israel rushed in and destroyed everything inside, as God had commanded them to do. But Rahab's future was not in that destruction. God's deliverance gave her a new way forward. A future with God's people in Israel. That lifeboat being tossed in the waves was brought into harbor. That flickering candlelight of faith amidst the darkness of Jericho was fanned in flame in Israel. It's a transformation. Jewish traditions say all sorts of things about what could have happened to Rahab in Israel. Some say she became a prophet. Some say she even married Joshua. We don't know any of that. The Bible doesn't say as much. But we do know that in Matthew chapter 1, she's called Rahab. Not Rahab the prostitute. Not Rahab the former awful sinner from Jericho. She's called Rahab. She's part of the lineage of Christ. And that transformation is for us too. It takes the form of Christ. He saw the sea of sin that we were living in and he loved us just like he loved Rahab. On the horizon was that impending destruction an eternity in hell because that's what our sin deserves. But Christ stepped into that role as hero and he plucked us from the impending disaster. Better than any Buzz Lightyear or any U.S. Army platoon could have done it. He lived perfectly, stainlessly, without a single sin. So that when he died, we might be called holy and perfect. When God looks at us, he sees a transformed believer wearing the righteousness of Christ. To borrow a phrase from Rahab's story, by faith, by faith God sees us as righteous and holy. He sees the righteousness of his son, Christ. We were doomed like the people of Jericho, but not anymore. We're brought into the family of God. Have you heard the story? I believe it was President George H.W. Bush, and he was talking to a Russian immigrant in the United States and wanted to know why he came over to the U.S. So he asked him, were your schools bad? And the man said, no. No, we couldn't complain. And he said, oh, well, there must have been a a big problem with unemployment in your country. And the man said again, no, we all had jobs. We couldn't complain. And now he was a little confused and he said, well, were you unhappy? And the man said, no, no, no. Life was good. We could not complain. 
And now, and now President Bush was a little frustrated, so he says, okay, surely there was something you were missing in Russia that you had to come over to the U.S. And he said with a smile, ah, here I can complain. Now whether that story happened in that way or not, it captures the absurdity in deliverance, I think. Why would it, we ever want to go back? Look at what God saved us from. Why would any of us ever think to go back to what we had? I find it interesting that in the last part of our text, Joshua puts a curse on the ruins of Jericho. Anyone who comes to rebuild this city, which was totally offensive, a total affront to God, would meet horrible consequences. The cost being their firstborn and lastborn sons. Why would anyone want to go back to that? Rahab isn't running to the ruins of Jericho saying, oh, the great memories I had there, if only I could go back. It's absurd to think that. It's absurd that God has to give us this kind of warning not to return to Jericho. Well, much like the Russian immigrant, we like to find ways to complain now that we're brought into God's family. The Bible was, or life was so much easier before the Bible told me what I had to do. That thing I used to do, I know it was sinful, but it made me happy. Happier than I am now as a Christian. As absurd as it sounds, those thoughts have crept into my heart. And I'm sure they've crept into all of ours. We know the blessings of deliverance. A new home, forgiveness of sins, salvation through Christ. But just like Proverbs talks about a dog returning to its vomit, we look back. The Israelites never even lived in Jericho. But, a few hundred years later, a man would be attracted by the, the splendor and former glory of that city. A foolish man named Hiel, from Israel. He came to rebuild Jericho against God's curse. And he did it, at the cost of his firstborn and lastborn son. It's human nature. It's sinful nature to casually walk back into that sin that just last, just last week we were on our knees begging God to forgive us for. As absurd as it sounds, it's true. But our hero in this story, Christ, he didn't just swing across the chasm, save us, and then leave us to figure out what to do next. That deliverance from sin, death, and the devil is something we get to experience every single day as Christians. Rahab was not sinless for the rest of her life, and neither are we. Even though Rahab was this, this member of Christ's line, this new part of God's family, delivered, transformed, we know that we won't be sinless. But what we do know is that when Christ died on the cross, his great act of deliverance. He covered every single sin of all time, including the ones that torment us from our past, 
and the ones in our future that haven't even happened yet. That deliverance is total and complete, and it's ours. It's undeserved love and grace from Christ. It's the most absurd and yet amazing part of this story. God did more than spare Rahab. He delivered her. And he delivers us too. Our hero in this story is Christ. He plucks us from the destruction of sin and takes us to be part of his family. In this Advent season, our transformed Christian hearts, we sit in silence waiting for that coming Christ. It's God's amazing love and grace wrapped in a manger for us. He was Rahab's deliverance from sin and death, and he is ours too. Rejoice about that. Praise God for that. Amen.